I think for young leaders and young people starting this journey that they're on with Student Works Painting, it's tough. You know, there's a lot in your way. First of all, you're a student. Yeah. <laughs> you have tons of responsibility already. You're juggling a lot of different balls. And if you struggle in one, uh, you're probably going to see some repercussion of that on the other side. So for me, the biggest thing was just understanding that what I'm doing is a long-term investment in, in not only myself, mm -hmm. uh, but those, those around me as well, right? So it's all about understanding that there is a market for what you're doing. You're cold calling and when you're knocking on those, on those doors in the winter, there's somebody there that does really want. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. We have a real special young leader for you today, Ted Strazimery. Uh, Ted identified that he was ranked uh, by Business London's top 20 in their 20s recipient. So he's a recent grad, and he and his partner, a former operator, Justin Mills, have started a drone business. And I was really excited because I saw this drone business, that what he was up to, but I really didn't know much about drones. I knew about drones, but what the business could be. And it's a really, really fascinating story of entrepreneurship, of creativity. And he literally is one of the leading drone businesses working with two mega clients in the real estate investment trust space. So don't go away. Stay with me and hear this amazing story of entrepreneurship, of leadership, and some really, really great lessons. I know you're going to love it. And you know what we're up to. We are working hard. We've had an incredible season, and we're looking for new, incredible young operators like Ted and Justin. Um, and if you know of anyone, please send them to me. Please send them to our organization so we can keep developing more leaders, which is really, again, my life's work. So you can send them to chris at leaderspodcast.ca. You can uh, go to leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. I know you're going to love this podcast. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. Bye-bye. Okay. Hey, Ted, really excited to have you on the uh, Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Chris. A uh, pleasure to be here, Chris. So Ted, you know, think back. I know it's not been that we were just talking before the pod. It's not been really that long. It's been about eight years since you, since you left our program. And what were you like before the program? What were you like maybe in, you know, high school, you know, first year at Western, you know, who was Ted? Yeah, no, it's uh, eight years uh, on paper sounds like a long time, but it's flown by. Yeah. And, and thinking even before that time, I'm not quite sure that I've really changed all that much. I was all, I was always someone that took risks and you know I was okay with being uncomfortable and right. and, and being put in an uncomfortable position. Now, you know, there's definitely a, a curve to that. You become more and more risk averse as right. you get older, I think. But you know, that that was at her at heart where I was uh, even before I joined Student Works. I think that's what attracted me to Student Works. Awesome. And, and so if you think about, you know, as a teenager, what was your biggest frustration as a teenager? 
Uh, well, I come from a pretty, uh, well, my, my family, I wasn't born in Canada. I was born in Albania and I moved when I was eight years old, uh, with my family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, previous to that, we lived in Kuwait for a little bit. My dad was an architect and he had some work there. So I had been pretty well traveled uh, for that age. So I, I had seen quite a bit of the world and, you know, there, there was definitely a transition period when I came here. Just being able to fit in, uh, sure. I think, was was a big one. Picking up the language, I, I had some some English already uh, under the belt, but definitely getting to that level where I felt comfortable to go out and make new friends that was that was a big that was a big point for me. But I think that taught me a lot. I thought, I think that taught me that that made me a little more thick skinned mm -hmm. and and not so dependent on what other people thought of me. So I think that's a really important thing to have under your belt for business because people aren't going to be nice all the time. It's a real powerful mindset. Um, I was reading, it's kind of really a philosophy book, the courage to be disliked. You know, it, there really is power. Um, and I know for yeah. me, it's actually something I've really need to work on. I really want to be liked, you know, and there's a weakness there. There's, there's this, of course, like everything, there's a strength on the other side of it. You know, people find me likable that works, but there's really a power in, you know, going against the grain and being willing to sort of step out and do something uncomfortable. People tell you it's the wrong thing to do, right? You know, and, and really it's, it's fascinating. I've been following you, as I mentioned, for a while. And, and, it's, and that's really what you've done is you've done something. You're really creating an entirely new industry, which is, uh, you know, just super cool. So you had, I guess we're getting a little bit of Yeah, a, thank you. Yeah, and, and I know we got a little bit of an unstable uh, internet there for a moment, but you had a real successful career with us. So we loved, we loved you with us. And then, so you went and spent some time at PPG and you know, how was that experience? Was that, that, that a gap year or what was that, what was going on there? Oh yeah, that was uh, that was a really fun time and a really cool gig. It obviously came pretty natural, naturally to me. Right. I was still in school at that time. And I always remember going into the Dulux stores. Yeah. And I'm sure as all the uh, operators know, there's quite a relationship that gets formed with your sort of favorite store. And, yeah. you know, they, they always have your order ready and things are always perfect, right? So I just went into that store that was my favorite store. And I said, hey, like, are you guys hiring? Are, you know, as I know quite a bit about this stuff by now. And I think it could be a good fit. And it, and it was a good fit. I was there for about two years. And I learned a lot about that industry. I learned a lot about the product, right? obviously, but uh, even just seeing commercial painters come in, in and out, and they're, you know, the varying degrees of attention to detail that some of them had right. um, really opened my eyes to the sort of wide spectrum of who's out there doing that work and, and how important uh, the sort of systems that were built into me through student works were, you know, that, that really separated us from the other guys. Yeah, that's actually interesting because I think a lot of times our young students think that, you know, oh, wow, these pros must be doing it way better. And the reality is, is absolutely not. You know, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely are. I don't want to knock on the pros because nope. I ran into and I worked with a ton of extremely professional painters. Mm -hmm. You know, that was their livelihood. It was everything that they had built from scratch. Right. So there's a, huge, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of pride in that business. But you know, there's always the other side of it where they're there for quick turnover. And uh, really the, the metric is what can I get, get away with uh, not being caught. And I saw that in the selection of, of paints and the right. selection of, of tools. Um, you know, a big, a big telltale sign was, was there 
client there with them at the paint shop or mm. did they just come in and, and phone orders in? So I, I saw a, quite a, a large gamut of, of uh, operators. And uh, again, it, it, it reaffirmed to me that the systems that we had at Sunaworks were of at or above standards that the professional guys were yeah. using. And by the way, as well, I, I totally like, you know, any generalization is a, is just weak thinking, right? So, you know, 100%, I'm actually on this top um, performer trip every year with uh, PPG's best clients from around Canada. And I got to tell you, there are just some unbelievably skilled and, uh, you know, painting companies out there who are just, you know, real masterful and really, really high levels of integrity. And obviously it, falls down from there just in terms of just again how seriously do you take your craft that's always what mm-hmm. life's about right doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you are is do you really take it seriously do you really care about your client and then you deliver great work so it, it, it's always interesting from the other side to go and look and go you know and frankly i think you can see it from our franchisee level or operator level just wow these people really take it seriously and they're really performing at a high level and and unfortunately sometimes you know we have people who aren't taking it seriously as, you know, of course, any, any business, any, any industry. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. I was at Dulux uh, right in the middle of the Axco Nobel PPG yes, merger. Uh, acqui- acquisition. Yeah. So uh, there was uh, quite a bit of shift in the business there. And, you know, we saw, well, from my limited understanding at that point, I saw the shift between, you know, Axco's approach to customers mm-hmm. and PPG's approach to customers. So there was definitely a marked uh, change there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then you, you ended up in the opportunity to move to literally one of the best businesses in the world. Depends how you want to look at it, but you know, mm-hmm. Apple. So why don't you tell our, our leaders just about what working in that amazing brand was like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't stress enough. That's something that I'll never, that'll always be a part of me. And and I loved Apple as a company as and as a vision and, and what they sort of stand for. I, I love them way before. So it was always a dream of mine to mm-hmm. work for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously in Canada, we have some pretty limited opportunities on what we can do with a company like that and, and how you can participate. Uh, but I joined right at the retail level. Right. So initially I was uh, on the floor there selling uh, devices. And Apple has a lot of really great terminology that puts things into perspective. And it really makes you realize how a company of that size and that complexity, they operate on some very key fundamentals Mm -hmm. that just keep delivering the results that they do, right? And the biggest thing that I drew from there is customer focus. Yeah, It is by far the most powerful way to make an impact and to grow your business. Uh, Customer focus at Apple was always the first point. Yeah. It was never profits. It was never sales, yeah. which was really, really refreshing. And, uh, and it's somewhere that, you know, I think they haven't changed changed at all. And, and I follow them very closely and I have friends that still work there. Um, and I don't think that's going to change for them over there. It's just so ingrained into their, uh, DNA. Oh yeah. They've just got a marvelous, marvelous brand. One of our former uh, operators out in the East coast, he's responsible for a whole raft of, of stores and customers out there. And, and, you know, he just speaks so glowingly about what they did. And he actually started in a spot like you and just kept growing up and, and they're really flat, meaning like he actually is like, he says he's like two levels from the CEO. Like they're just so flat. Like, you know, they just say, Hey, you handle this, you know? And again, the only Mm -hmm. way I think that can happen is, is that if you've actually engaged those people, like at the retail level, 
to really care about your customers, right? And really work, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're not having problems escalate. You're not having, you know, misalignment. I think that's one big thing that that Apple's got right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, that's escalation. You you brought that up. That's one of the one of the areas where I perform the best at. That was really suited for my style of of doing things because you know escalations they are very volatile and if you enter the escalation with preconceived notions on on how that escalation is going to outcome uh then you're you're likely going to end up with a with a negative outcome you're not you're not going to come out of there with anything positive at all and it's a lose lose for everybody so i mean the biggest thing for me that always worked was just asking questions yeah. and asking why mm-hmm. you know if a customer was upset about a repair just ask the customer, well, how do we make it better? What, what do you want? Right. And always giving them the opportunity to make a request. Yes. Because a lot of the times people are just mad for the sake of, of being mad and they're not processing exactly why that is. Yes. And if you bring it back to them and say, hey, well, how can we make this better? What is it that you would like me to do? It always turns into a civil conversation and, and everything uh, that was negative about it usually goes out the window and there's always a, a solution one way or another. Um, so just having that idea going into it that, you know, I, I welcome an escalation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons, like if I think back, because, you know, again, I, I've already said I, I'm a nice guy, right? I'm a likable guy. So so I don't have a lot of negative or over the years have had very few negative interactions. But anytime I have, and if I think about on the other side, you know, customer service experiences, it's like something gets triggered where I feel disrespected. I feel I'm getting cheated. And then you don't want to be cheating me, right? Just like, I don't want to be cheating Ted, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we get, you know, like, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. Like it, it like brings up something poor in us. I think, you know, wow. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not, that's not fair. So it's sometimes as well, like we're, we actually struggle our customers or we as customers will struggle with really our emotions and our feelings, maybe a betrayal or whatever. So it's like, like you said, it's like, wow, I really understand that. I can see you're really upset. That makes sense to me. Wow. It doesn't work. And then again, getting to trying to ask them for a solution is a really, really great way to get a resolution. And most importantly, have them leave so that they want to continue to be a customer of Apple's. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a big piece there on empathy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's sympathy where, you, you know, you kind of feel bad for the person and say, oh, that's, I'm, I'm, you know, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But then there's empathy where you bring yourself down to that position that that customer is and really, really show them that you know exactly how they, they feel. Yes. Uh, you may not be in that position right now and you may not have been in that exact position mm-hmm. before but you can understand how they feel. And, and that always disarms them. And I guess getting in that situation where you are combative and yeah. the customer has that, that raised emotional state, it all comes back to not really worrying too much about what other people think, right? So if you go in and, and you're very aware of, of your emotions and, and what other people may think of you doesn't really affect those emotions too much, then you're just you're gonna go in cool, calm and collect it and shut everything down before it gets too hot. Yeah. Not be defensive, et cetera. Not take it personally, really be looking out for the customer. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I know the reason I've had you on the, on the, on the pod, the leaders of tomorrow is what you've created, mm-hmm. you know, with sky deploy. And I know I'm really excited to talk about that, but is that something that you were working on when you were with what, Apple? When did that idea, and maybe we can talk about 
the business a little bit and frame it for our leaders. But when did that idea start to ger- germinate for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, I can't really put the finger on when exactly that happened, but it definitely happened when I was at Apple. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always, I'm always looking at new things. My mind doesn't really stay still on subjects, and sometimes that's that's a good thing, and sometimes that impacts me negatively because yeah, I, sure. I can't stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> But I think what triggered it was, A, I had been at Apple for about five years. And right. in Canada, you know, there's only so much that you can do um, with them being headquartered in, in Cupertino. Yeah. And I had, I had already had a, quite a few opportunities to travel to Cupertino. And I'd seen the, the campuses and seen the corporate side of things there. I even I happened to be there on their 45th uh, anniversary. And there was a huge celebration. Tim Cook was there. Right. It was like for a, a nerd fan like myself I was like in, in Nirvana, Nirvana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going one of the funny story one of the first things they tell you when you go to, to headquarters there is do not say anything to the VIPs to the to the you know Tim Cooks okay. the Angela Ann Hertz if you're ever in a situation where they're in the same room a lot of people g- g- gravitate toward them and you know want an autograph, and that's a very career career limiting move. Is how they how they how they phrase it. Uh, but yeah, I, I had been there for a while, and I had sort of seen and done everything I could have. I was uh, at that point certified to be a genius, which allowed me to do repairs and take on the harder cases. And for the large majority of the time, I was in business to business sales. So mm-hmm. we called that position uh, the business team. Right. And really, our our main man date was to reach out to uh, business customers in the area. Southwestern Ontario is fine. Uh, and just get to know them. There right. Again, it always, it always went back to relationships. So, you know, calls would usually involve me calling in saying, hey, it's Ted just checking in how you guys are doing. What kind of projects are you working on? I think, you know, I love your work. Right. And really being really friendly and understanding where their businesses were. And maybe if there's an opportunity to inject some Apple technology in there, great. Right. But if not, then just building relationships was the most important factor. Um, so after a while of doing that, I, I got a lot of uh, calls and requests for, for drone related activities. Okay. So. You know, I was always really interested in aviation. Uh, it was a passion of mine. And, uh, you know, when, when drones started becoming more capable and, and, you know, right off the shelf, you could have something that flies and does everything you needed to. I was really looking into them. And that was sort of the spark that said, hmm, there seems to be a market here. There's demand. Who's, who's filling that demand? And I did some pretty quick market research and just looked around a couple of Google searches and I discovered no one really. Uh, at that time. So, you know, I, again, going back to my risk taking behavior said, (laughs) (laughs) said, this is, this is probably what I want to do next. I want to work for myself. And that was a big motivator. And, uh, and I think there's, I think I have the skill set and the background to, to make something happen here. So the next step was finding somebody to join me because mm-hmm. uh, being a, a sole founder is, is extremely difficult. And I've seen others really struggle with that. And the first person that popped into mind was, was my former coworker and colleague at StudentWorks. And yeah. he hit all the right check boxes of, of what you want in a partner and in a, in a co-founder. Um, and it was its history since then. So that's Justin Mills, everyone. And, and so Justin was a, a, as well a multi-year yeah. operator who worked with uh, on Ted's team and they got to know each other really uh, well at Western. And so maybe you can describe as well to our leaders, because I'm a big believer that if we're looking for a co-founder, if we're looking for a partner, 
so many people find partners and it's just so that they don't feel so fearful about going into business together. And to me, Mm -hmm. uh -uh. I want someone who's highly accountable. I want someone who's highly skilled and skilled in areas that I'm not skilled at. So why don't you sort of just, you know, you know, draw that out for our leaders about what skills are you, do you have what, what, what areas of strengths do you have? What areas of strength did Justin have? Yeah. Yeah. I think inherently everyone secretly, well, not really, sometimes it's an open secret, but for most people, everyone secretly loves themselves Yeah, and, and they want to be around people like themselves. Right. And, and I think that it can be a double-edged sword. Uh, sure, there there are connections that can be made that that works out perfectly. Uh, but in business, and especially in the early stages of a business where there's a lot of sweat equity and a lot of hard work with very little reward up front, you would be doing yourself a disservice by joining up with somebody that is exactly like yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what led me to think of Justin first. He is a very nice balance to, to what I bring to the table. He's the analytical, the thinker, the, you know, he takes his time thinking about stuff and, and really breaks it down before he makes a decision or I'm the quick, let's go. No, that's it. We're going that direction. Right. Yeah. So that bouncing those, uh, you know, pros and cons that we both have across uh, uh, each other. That is, uh, I think what makes things in this relationship really wonderful analytical and, and being organized, of course, is, uh, is, is just, a that's the price of admission. Mm. You're not going to be successful in anything if you're not organized and, and putting your thoughts down on paper is, is just, you know, how that starts. So he had all those qualities and obviously by knowing his work and, and seeing it firsthand when he was running his business, I, I knew that, that Justin was very capable in helping me with this. Awesome. Awesome. So you saw this opportunity, you went and attracted or, or you know, looked to, look to hook up with a, a really great guy. So what opportunities, what part of the market, what interested you about, uh, about this space? Where did you see the market initially? Mm-hmm. Well, being in the tech space and having spent a lot of time there and also having talked to a lot of founders and startups in the area, you know, I had a good idea of what is a viable business in, mm-hmm. in this kind of context and what isn't. So I went into this with data mm-hmm. as our, our main, you know, that's, that's our driver and that's what we're hoping to compete in where we want to be a data company. And I think that's really important because it's scalable and it retains value really well if the data is is good. So by thinking of that, the first sort of trajectory that we started looking at was agriculture. Right. And, you know, having known zero about agriculture prior to this, I learned a lot. And Justin was a perfect fit there too, because he comes from a farming background Mm -hmm. uh, and his family runs a a very large farm in the Simcoe area. So he has the know-how and the the connections in that space. Agriculture is very interesting and it's going to continue to be a a, a big play um, because A, it's I think that food is the oil of the future right? and food production, um, you know, is, is a very capital intensive uh, process. Mm-hmm. There's massive la- labor shortages in, in, in agricultural production and technology is a perfect fit. Right. It, it addresses what the shortcomings of the old systems are and it does make everything just slightly more efficient, which curbs the, the issues with labor. Right. So, 
we, we dove into that, learned everything we could. We participated in uh, expos and farm shows, and it, it became pretty evident to us that Agriculture, while the opportunities are very uh, large, the price of admission or the, the barriers to entry are also equally large. There's a lot of scale. There's mm -hmm. a lot of just being there in person. Mm -hmm. And the analytics and the data um, that's coming out of, of these processes is difficult. It's not, it's not a solved problem. It's not like we can just go in and scan some, some leaves and tell you what's wrong with the plant. Nobody can really do that right now. So, you know, one of the main uh, things in use, and, and it's, it's, it's caught on a lot, of, uh, a lot of steam and it's gonna continue, it's called NDVI. So NDVI is an acronym that's, uh, that stands for Normalized Vegetation Distress Index, something along those lines, don't quote me. But essentially what it, what it tells us is it's, it's a visual, representation of the plant's stress. Okay. And a stressed out plant will essentially reflect less infrared light off of its leaves than a healthy plant. A healthy plant absorbs it and, and converts it into energy. So what you know, the common method of, of, of doing this is, of recording this information is it's either satellite or it's manned aircraft. So pros and cons of each is that satellite is obviously you can cover large areas and, and get that information. Uh, but you don't really have too much flexibility on when that satellite gets to do that. Okay. Uh, and man, manned aviation is, is, is expensive. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, while it can produce higher quality data, there's a cost benefit analysis there. You know, is it really worth the extra expense? So drones fit in at the ground level. They, they provide a, a cheap, uh, low cost uh, platform to collect the information. Right. Uh, and then because they're flying much lower and they have some pretty powerful cameras, they can collect some really high quality information that's, you know, down to a couple square feet if you're really interested in knowing. So that process and, and the science behind that is very new and it's something that requires tons of capital to. Uh, really invest in the machine learning side of things, invest into the scientists behind the screens that need to be there clicking and then making sure everything's okay. And it just wasn't viable for us, especially at that startup phase with, you know, the funding, which is so, so difficult to raise. Totally. So, you know, one of the things about running a business is that we're not just these robots deciding yeah. what the financial metrics are, but we're actually people. So <laughs> that sounds like that's pretty heartbreaking, right? Like you go yeah. and you invest in fares, all this time, all this energy, and you go and make a really tough decision to say, this isn't the right direction to go. How did that feel? Mm -hmm. It's the, the best way I can describe it is running a startup, you, you're going to see high highs and low lows right. and, and probably more low lows than those high highs. So you know, investing in your mental health is huge right. because it's it's absolutely something that you need to have a very robust grip on. Yeah. Uh, because you're gonna you're gonna encounter situations where what you thought was this amazing idea that nobody else is doing, you click one link on on Google one day by accident, and you see three other competitors that are already excelling at it. Right. right? So that's a real that's a real blow. You have to be prepared for that, and you have to be 
able to pivot. Yeah. Because if, if you don't, you're done. Yeah. So it's like, so you went into this not thinking that, oh, this for sure, was it going to be or anything like that? It's like, okay, we're choosing this direction. This looks like a good strategy, but we're aware that it may not be the right strategy. So that, you know, you're saving your money. You're not going and, you know, uh, thinking that you're going to be a multimillionaire just yet. Right. You know, so you're being, mm-hmm. you're being, you're being cautious, right. You know, obviously mm-hmm. preparing for the best, you know, but I can't remember that saying, but anyhow, yeah. <laughs> whatever that saying is, you know, expect the worst, prepare for the best, whatever. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of, I'm sure when you started student works painting, you weren't thinking, Oh, we're going to be the biggest painting company ever and paint the most amount of houses mm-hmm. uh, yep. there. No, the, the idea was, was probably, Hey, we're going to create great leaders out of this um, by giving them these opportunities and the rest will sort of fall into place. Right. So for us, that was also the, the thinking that we adopted. It was the data is the value and we're experts at collecting data from a unique perspective. It doesn't matter if the agricultural data isn't the, the, the one that, that makes sense for us. Uh, given what's changed, it, it just matters that we're still here collecting data and being the best at at, at maneuvering between that, that work. Awesome. Hey, leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now, and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. So let's talk about the pivot. So you've pivoted into Mm. a really cool space. So let's talk about that, Ted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sort of this, this, you know, a lot of it is, I think, at the end of the day, right time and right place. 100%. We have a really unique product, I guess, if, if it's really even a product. And I spent a lot of my time early on in, in, the, in the business uh, life cycle, just thinking of product ideas. So we were in a unique situation. And because of that, we were one of very few uh, in that space. Right. So we, we got tapped um, in early, I believe it was late 2017. Uh, we got tapped by a group that I had never heard of, but looking back at it now, it was kind of stupid that I didn't know. They were a real estate investment trust. Right. Uh, so when you think about what a REIT does, they're essentially a stock uh, that you can go out and buy. But instead of owning shares in a, in a company, you own shares in a bunch of properties that right. they manage. So their ask for us was, hey, we want you guys to use your drones and count the cars in our parking lots. And, and that was a big aha moment for us because right off the bat, that was data. We're not being asked to provide you know, boots on the ground services. 
We're being asked to manipulate data and give them analytics. And Justin and I had a long thinking session about this. We got together for a few days and just banged out uh, an excellent proposal. Mm -hmm. And I think what set us apart was that instead of just providing what they asked for, we came in and we said, well, we can do that, but we can also show you this. And we can also, um, you know, manipulate this to unlock this insight. Uh, so, so what that was, and we didn't really know right off the bat what we were doing uh, and why it was useful for them. But essentially what's going on behind the scenes is that there is a parking oversupply issue. And, uh, and I'm sure when you think about it now, uh, you'll look at parking lots a little bit differently. If you're ever in a large shopping center, just take a look around and you'll always notice that there is some portion of that parking lot that is unused. Yeah. And chances are you're there during the most convenient time of the day to be there, which is probably also other people's convenient time. And if that area is there, then it's probably always unused. There's a very high likelihood. Uh, so what the, the problem that we're trying to solve is we're putting numbers to that problem. So we're saying in this, in this shopping center, only 40% of that parking is used. How we're doing this is we're using what we know. We're using what we're good at. We're putting drones up in the air and we're collecting data. Right. And from, from that collection, we're, we're streamlining it and we're processing it in a way that these development managers, these traffic engineers, municipalities that overview the, the development plans and, and proposals and issue permits, they all look at this stuff and that's what they use to come up with their decision. Right. So we're, we're, we're collecting analytics relating to parking in retail areas and we're taking that data and offering it to people and, and, and groups that can utilize that to maximize their, their, their earnings and improve their portfolios. Right. So for leaders, one of the big opportunities that they're seeing is, is that, you know, like if you imagine a client like Walmart and smart centers, these big, big places and originally built with lots of parking, right? That made sense. We don't want to be limited by parking. And then all of a sudden saying, oh, wow, think people are starting to buy more online. People are, hmm. are, are maybe Ubering there or, you know, there's a, there's a shift away from retail. And so you own this enormous mm-hmm. center. How do you maximize that investment? So how do you, how do you see your clients looking at that tech for our leaders so that they understand? Yeah, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. How do we maximize what we already have without having to go out and invest more money into new real estate and start from scratch? So one of the best ways to do this is a process just called intensification. So intensification really just means building within that center mm-hmm. and intensifying what's already there. Now, intensification can only go so far. So we saw that uh, COVID, you know, it really opened our eyes to how our economy handles a shock, right? A shock that we had never seen before on a scale that was almost unimaginable beforehand. And with some really unique attributes to it, physical distancing, obviously yeah. a really, a really strange phenomenon that we'd never would have thought of before. So what, you know, what was really obvious was that retail got, got absolutely hammered. Yes. Um, Physical presence is a must for that industry. It thrives on it. And without physical presence, you know, online shopping, even even as efficient as that is, it, it still has major bottlenecks and things that we haven't figured out yet logistically. Uh, so the, the best way to address this problem is to diversify. 
right? So what, what we're seeing and what we're seeing a lot of our clients and, and customers doing with this data is actually planning mixed use residential, uh, commercial, um, retirement homes, planning them right into these parking lots. They're already situated in really key strategic positions around cities. If you look at the GTA, they're already in really prime real estate areas. There's a ton of space there. They already own the space. Right. Everything's already zoned. It's a no-brainer. So what you're going to start seeing and, and, and what sort of the, the move forward is, you're going to start seeing buildings popping up within these shopping centers that look like they don't fit there. But they, they absolutely do. And, and I think that's the paradigm shift that uh, our, our city planners have, have seen as well, that, you know, there's, there's a better way to do this. And, right. you know, it, it even comes back to environmental challenges that we're going to be facing in, in the future. That tarmac on the ground there heating up and, 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 and cooling down all day, that's not, that's not good for the environment. Absolutely not. So a better use of our space and, and the, the reduction in urban sprawl yes. um, is, is, is another driver that's going to that's gonna continue to hammer it. Increasing density is a good thing. So all of a sudden, it's like we've got this enormous mall. And in my head, I'm thinking of some malls, you know, in and around Woodbridge, this is sprawling, sprawling malls and just going, wow, you're right. You All of a sudden, you put some mixed residential uh, nursing, you know, sorry, uh, retirement home. These, And all of a sudden, it's, it just it works better. I guess maybe even tiered parking to manage the parking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know one of the things you're doing as well is also showing your clients how the parking actually is working. Where mm-hmm. is it not working? Where is it jamming up? How can we get better flow and, and them being able to make better decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then these are problems that are going to uh, intensify as self-driving cars and then other uh, ride sharing becomes more, pro- uh, more prevalent. You know, one, one concept that really stood out to me that Justin and I um, heard at, at, uh, at an expo that we were at was, you know, these self-driving cars they're not going to stick around after you go into the store. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You know, right now we think of parking as a, as a place to go stow our vehicle while we're in the area. But if the car can drive itself, it makes so much more sense for the car to go position itself somewhere offsite, yeah. maybe underground, and reduce overall traffic by doing that as well, right? Because it's so easy for it to just come back and pick you up. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of long-term vision that we're sticking to. Uh, because, you know, when, when you're starting a business, you can't be thinking about the next two years. Yes. You've got to be thinking about the next 20, 30 years. So there's definitely going to be a, a shift in, in paradigm as well there. Right. And again, it's, it. you know, I, I know I was saying this before our pod, Ted, is, is that I've seen over the years, all sorts of our past leaders from the Student Works Management Program jump into new industries and then they're at the beginning of that industry. And again, well, mm-hmm. sometimes those industries actually don't come up. You know, and they, you know, unfortunately, right. But then a lot of times they're, they're shifting someplace else. Oh, that, that pivot didn't work. Oh, I'm going over here. But being there early is so advantageous because are you seeing other competitors doing what you're doing, Ted? Uh, no, not currently. The first mover advantage is definitely a real thing. Yeah. Um, and and you're right. I, I, I see a lot of the, the, the students and the, the people that take part in Sooner Works painting as the type of people that are typically found on that early edge of, of, of something new, right? Because they're, they're risk takers and they're going to go out and do the hard work and, and they're, they're going to accept the delayed gratification yep. that's required for you to, to for you to see results, right? So we're in that position where we we don't have to think about 
uh, competition. Right. And quite honestly, I'm I'm the kind of person I don't look into it. I don't really care what others are doing. No. For, yeah. Right. Because at the end of the day, if if you're going to spend uh, your limited amount of energy each day, and you're going to devote, you know, even ten percent of that energy that day to thinking about what other people are doing, you know, you're doing yourself a massive disservice, yeah. and you're discounting your ability. We have the same exact feeling, and we've got you know, hundreds and thousands of competitors and you've got none. And so it's always the best strategy, you know, uh, you know, or I should say there's some t- situations where I guess it makes sense, but it's just like, and, and, and I want everyone to get like, you know, Ted and Justin's customers, Walmart and smart centers, like, like those are some of the best customers you can have in the world, right? The enormous brands, enormously successful. So it's like, no, you don't need to focus on competitors. You just need to focus on those customers, service their needs, and hey, your business is going to win. Just because if you can, if you can do that, you can do that in a profitable way. That's just going to be huge. Yeah, absolutely. It always comes down to customer focus, and if you make your customer look good, because remember, they're employees too. Yes. If you make them look good internally, they're going to make you look good. So that's really been sort of the guiding principle is I'm, I'm not just working for them, but I'm, I have a vested interest in them succeeding and becoming champions within that company and, and, and you know, positioning our, our name whenever yeah. something comes up at a meeting, right? That's really it. And I think for young leaders and, and, and young people starting this journey that they're on with StudentWorks Painting, it's tough. You know, there's a lot in your way. First of all, you're a student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have tons of responsibility already. You're juggling a lot of different balls. And if you struggle in one, uh, you're probably going to see some repercussion of that on the other side. So for me, the biggest thing was just understanding that what I'm doing is a long-term investment in, in not only myself, mm-hmm. uh, but those, those around me as well, right? So it's, it's all about understanding that there is a market for what you're doing. You're cold calling and when you're knocking on those, on those doors in the winter, there's somebody there that does really want a, a paint job, right? They're not all going to be the no's or no answers. Yeah. All you got to do is just, just find the right one and, and being able to really just focus on that idea uh, will will help so much. And I, I never thought I would be looking at parking lots. Yeah, never in a million years. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and one thing that you said a whole number of times is is delayed gratification. The most mm. successful people you know are people who can delay gratification, and that happens in relationships. That happens in health. I know Ted's a really fit, healthy guy. You know, you you, you know, you've got to be willing to say, I'm not going to eat that bad food. I'm going to go to the gym. To feel better later, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do the hard work to, to to win the customer later. These are the things that successful people do. Okay, and and so you know, if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, Ted, what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, everyone everyone has their own take on this, and there's a whole industry dedicated on just motivating people. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am. I don't know if I'm gonna be eloquent enough to put this. In. <laughs> so really for, for me it's it's just about believing in yourself right. believing that what believing that what you're doing even if it's not apparently valuable to somebody else right. but as long as it's valuable to you then you're going to get something out of it right, right? if I, I could be out there counting seagulls if nobody cares but you know there's probably something there that I'm getting really good at Right. That I can pl- that I can apply to another uh, another venture or something else. You know, this your first venture. You know, your first attack is not going to be successful. It probably right. isn't. 
But by doing it and doing it over and over again and really understanding that things take time and, and it's worth the wait, you're going to be in a position that's just you know so far above what the average founder going into an idea that they think is the best thing in the world is going to be, right? So it's all about believing in yourself and just being, you know, not really caring what other people think. I, right. I don't care. You know, that's, that's the mindset you got to have. Yeah. Uh, you don't think I'm, you know, people are going to say all kinds of stuff and people, you know, love to evaluate success on different metrics, but Definitely. success is a very flexible thing. Yeah. Ted's running this drone business. Like, wow. You know, right. Like, you know, that I'm sure, you know, it's like, and who knows what they say, but I imagine, oh yeah. You know, and, and again, it's just naturally that's what people judge. It's okay. Let them yeah. judge. You know, it's totally cool. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and frankly, as well, like I must say as well, I went, oh, I saw on Ted's LinkedIn, Ted's running this drone business. Who knew? Like, what's a drone business? Like, you know, yeah. and, and, and I'm so excited by your drone business, by the way. But I, you know, I didn't know what the drone business was. I go, wow, how do you make money running a drone business? But now I see. I, yeah. I still have friends at Apple that make fun of me and my drones. Like, <laughs> oh, Ted, you going after? Ted, are you going out with your digital kites today or are you going to stay in? <laughs> you know what? That's fine. That's oh, no, fine. for they, sure. They can, for they, sure. Can, they can show up to their nine to five. I'll be, uh, I'll be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so as you went from a you know, university student to creating value in the real world, what did you need to change about yourself? Oh, that's an easy one for me. I needed to become better at delegating. Okay. I was okay at everything. Mm -hmm. I was I was never great at my business with mm -hmm. the student works. And that's completely fine. I mean, I learned a ton. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned is that I'm not going to be able to be successful if I'm taking everything on myself. Right. And, you know, that was something with production that I really struggled at. I had a really high standard and and that really negatively affected who I could bring on to my team. Right. And that was that was the big takeaway was that. I need to be more comfortable with letting go of things that are probably, that could be in my control, sure. but isn't in my best interest for them to be always under my control. And, and I think that's, that's something that I've seen play out over and over again. And it's a, it's a life lesson that, you know, is really valuable. And I hope that people get it as soon as possible. Absolutely. And so what key habits, if someone want to do what you did or do what you do, what key habits would they want to steal from you? Oh, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, he, so for me, I'm, I'm always looking into something. You know, I'm not happy. It's not that I'm not happy with, with what I'm doing at any given moment. I just think that there, there's a lot of interesting things out there. Right. And I would be doing myself a big disservice if I at least didn't even scratch the surface. Right. Um, because that's where, that's where opportunities are going to shine through. And, and you're going to be able to, if you're able to move quickly and put all your, your pieces together, that's where you're going to be successful. You're going to, you're going to see a little bit of an opportunity right. and you're going to be able to pivot and, uh, and change what you're doing to take advantage of that. It's all about just taking advantage of it. Awesome. Awesome. So you're a big fact finder, I can tell. So, and then you're also willing to move on things. And those are the two predominant entrepreneurial traits, especially for, for entrepreneurs who create new industries, new ideas. For me, I have a massive quick start. I'm a massive quick start, but I'm not that much of a fact finder. I actually bought this business. I was the 10th owner operator. So I don't have wow. as much of the, the, the fact finding that would allow me to create as many 
unique and new things. And I can imagine this is not going to be your only thing that you'll create just in speaking with you today, Ted, you know, that there's future opportunities, you know, outside the drone business, but you know, who, who knows, you know, but like you said, it's even inside the drone business, it's what other clients are possible. What other opportunities are possible, right? Like, and again, it's really not, as you mentioned, not really a drone business, it's the data business, right? That's really what's most exciting. Exactly. I think one of the most important things for young operators, um, especially when they're joining StudentWorks, to keep in mind is that there is no better time to take risks other than the, the limited window that you have basically from your late teens where you're able to take significant risks yeah. over into you know the, your late 30s maybe yeah. depending on when you get married, yeah. et cetera. Because life, life comes down on you pretty hard and time is your most valuable asset. Yeah. And if, if you're not a first mover on that side of things, then these opportunities and then these, these chances aren't gonna just appear in front of you. So take risks because it's, you're gonna be really regretting not doing so if, if, you, if you don't. Yeah, like I think you know, it's one of those things where, you know, as you mentioned, kids, family, it starts to become mm-hmm. irresponsible or it maybe even it is it can be it just irresponsible to take financial risks yeah. when you've got a family. Hold on. My my our role is to support support these children, support this situation that we have and and I can't do this although I'd like to. So you're right before those, you know, responsibilities come and obligations, which are wonderful responsibilities and obligations, don't get me wrong. And on the other hand, you know, you mm-hmm. just need to take a, a, a more tried and true risk-free uh, role when you reach that point, because otherwise you're not mm-hmm. just risking you, you're risking, um, you know, it's, it's just way harder to rebound. So I think you're so mm-hmm. right. The twenties and thirties mm-hmm. is the time to really, you know, move forward. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. So final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind, Ted? Well, I mean, there's lots of, of great leadership styles. Right. And then by no means have I even seen all of them. Right. But what I've noticed is, is that the best leaders are usually the ones that are the kindest. It's, it's honestly having that ability to influence people and to bring them onto your team is extremely valuable because you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And honestly, people can right away tell what kind of person you are, especially in this in this business context. Yeah. So so be be kind. Be kind to everybody else and give and don't expect to receive and and, and be okay with that because you know you're planting seeds uh, with every conversation that you have. Uh, and you never know who that person is going to know who that person is going to talk to yeah. and how those webs come together uh, in the future. So be kind. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Be kind. And, and again, just, just to, to share about you is, is that again, you had a really great rep. You still do, you know, in, in our operator mm. environment and, and so did mm. Justin. Mm. So it's, it's one of those things where both of you had a good reputation. So, so obviously you're both drawn to each other, but also you would have heard things as well. Oh, Justin, he's super solid. Oh, Ted, mm-hmm. he'll do this for it. So again, it's your brand is so important. And again, but I want everyone to hear what Ted said is, is that, is that again, people know who you're, who you're standing for. Like, are you really standing for your customer? We get here, Ted's standing for his customer, right? Like you really care about people. And so you're not doing it because your brand, but your brand's going to get built because you care mm-hmm. about people, right? Because if you just care about your brand, then what's going to happen? You're not willing mm-hmm. to be disliked. 
You're not mm-hmm. willing to make mm-hmm. the hard decisions sometimes, right? Not the not to not be kind, but to make the the hard decisions and and go against the guys at Apple who make fun of my drone business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've touched on a lot of points there. That looking back at it now, and I haven't really I hadn't really thought about this up until now. But you know, being kind is very very important because what you'll find in business is that labor is actually the hardest thing to find yes you can go out and you can you can knock on doors and you will find work and you will find sales and build your revenue up but are you going to be able to find the people that you can depend on to show up to that job site put paint on that paintbrush and put it on the on the surface so over and over again and i've said this to other people whenever we're in this sort of conversation about hiring or finding yeah. people to help is labor is the hardest thing and mm-hmm. and if you're not nourishing your your people and if you're not kind and approachable um then the best people aren't going to work for you they're, yeah. they're just going to find they're going to find other opportunities and if they're bright like you, they usually are they're not going to have any problems you're going to be the one holding the yeah. the you know, bad end of the stick there and just like as as well with your customers we're not kind to our customers we're not kind to our partners you know things aren't going to work right because we can't do it all ourselves you know we work in this ecosystem of of people drawn together to, to create something great so ted i'm just so excited to have this podcast with you i'm just so excited what you and justin are doing and sky deploy you know continued success and I look forward to hearing more, uh, you know, great, uh, great breakthroughs in the future. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. This has been a great, uh, great time for me, too. You've sort of become my uh, therapist for a few hours. And... <laughs> well, I'm glad to be, I'm glad to be uh, back at work. So, <laughs> fantastic. Thanks, Coach. Okay, we'll t- you betcha. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Take care. Cheers. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.